we have a very transactional view of prayer. And it's like, if you get the inputs right, then you get the outputs right. And so if prayer isn't what it's supposed to be in our lives, somehow we're not enough. And it causes people to shrink back. And, and the accuser, of course, the accuser's his goal is separation. Um, he, he wants to separate us from the experience of God, the presence of God, the path of God, the ways of God. And so the accuser's going to come in and say, hey, until you get your stuff together, you can't go to the Father in prayer, which is the exact opposite of what the writer of Hebrews says. The writer of Hebrews says, come with boldness, with confidence to the throne of grace. Where we find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on to talk about how Jesus became like us in every respect so he could sympathize with us, sympathize with us in our weakness. And what I have found, Colleen, is when we get real with God, prayer becomes a real thing for us. Thanks for tuning in to the Reframing Ministries podcast, where we provide strength for today and hope for tomorrow for caregivers and their families. We'd love to hear how these episodes have helped you. After rating, would you share your story in the review section of your preferred podcast app? Our team at Reframing Ministries loves to hear stories of hope and healing, and now we've played a small part in them. Now, here's Colleen. We are going to be talking about words with God, a subject that is that is so misunderstood and yet is so vital to our world. Words with God, trading boring, empty prayer for real connection by Addison Bevere. Addison, thank you for being with me today. Colleen, thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited for this conversation. I love this book because I think prayer is one of the topics that is so it's kind of like vapor. It's there, mm. but it's something we can't grasp or don't know a lot about. You say in the book, um, you're writing this work was not about a formula, but awareness, connection, and purpose. That prayer is a pathway of wholeness and integration. I love both those words. Centering one's attention on reconciliation of all things, God and human, heaven and earth, secular and sacred just bringing it all together under an umbrella that usually is very splintered. What was the, mm. the motivation for you to begin this work? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And really it's multifaceted. Um, I would say one of, one of the main reasons why I started working on this is because I, I felt inadequate in prayer. Mm. And, and I thought I was alone in that belief. And the more conversations that I've had around the sensitive and intimate subject of prayer, uh, because it is an intimate subject, prayer is a, is a, it's a gift of intimacy. It's a point of connection with God. It's a point of connection, understanding with ourselves. And then also through whatever this is um, into the lives of others through relationship and connection. Um, and so, so for me, I just felt like I was bad at prayer. And, yeah. and I, did, I did a deep dive. And I discovered so many things about prayer and God's design for prayer and God's purpose for prayer. And I've noticed too, Colleen, as I've talked with people, this is this is not uncommon. Most people believe they are bad at prayer. I actually I preached a sermon this message. I was down or this past week, and I was down in Atlanta speaking at a church. 
And I started the sermon with, with that point. And it was like, everyone took a deep breath. The pastor wanted me to teach on prayer. And they were, they took a deep breath when I acknowledged like, Hey, this is something that most of us, we have guilt and we have shame associated with our idea of prayer. And we need to talk about why that's the case. Why at this point of intimacy or potential intimacy, do we find ourselves thinking about how we've missed it and who we are not and how far we have to go when God's simply inviting us to draw near and experience his presence? Which all of that to draw near and experience his presence. Um, we are so filled with a world of noise that mm-hmm. even yesterday, my husband and I took a trip this last weekend. Even at the gas station, they have advertisements and noise going on. I, and I said, <laughs> honey, is there ever quiet? But one thing that you really highlight at the very beginning is the accuser's voice. And you say yielding is hard and scary work. And then I've made some notes on some things that come up when we get quiet. We have the canyon where we just hear an echo, but we don't know that God is really hearing us. Mm-hmm. Um, the accuser's voice, of course, doubt is there as well. And the church is not, has not been, by and large, really open to discussing these very real um, needed conversations. Yeah. Well, and I think that's because we have a very transactional view of prayer. And it's like, if you get the inputs right, then you get the outputs right. And so if prayer isn't what it's supposed to be in our lives, somehow we're not enough. And it causes people to shrink back. And, and the accuser, of course, the accuser's his goal is separation. Um, he, he wants to separate us from the experience of God, the presence of God, the path of God, the ways of God. And so the accuser is going to come in and say, hey, until you get your stuff together, you can't go to the Father in prayer, which is the exact opposite of what the writer of Hebrews says. The writer of Hebrews says, come with boldness, with confidence to the throne of grace. Where we find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on to talk about how Jesus became like us in every respect so he could sympathize with us, mm-hmm. sympathize with us in our weakness. And we see in Psalm 22, David's words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus quotes these on the cross. And what he's essentially doing is he's modeling as part of the human experience is crying out to God saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what I have found, Colleen, is when we get real with God, prayer becomes a real thing for us. When when we open our mouth and we cry out, and even when those cries are just groans, when they're inarticulate, when we're trying to figure out the words, God comes and meets us in those moments. And I think there's this idea about prayer, like if we don't get the words right, if the words are messy, then the miraculous can't move into our prayers. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the truth is, if you look at something like Psalm 142, David says, I pour out my complaints before you, God. He doesn't say like, I gently lay my complaints. He's saying, I pour out my complaints before you, God. And yet he's also, so he's being honest and it's his honesty that actually leads him to a greater understanding of God's holiness and God's otherness and reverence. And I think so many of us, we don't really know God in prayer because we haven't been honest with God in prayer. And that's why I liken the, the movement of praying in and through silence to a rite of passage. It is a very formative part of the prayer experience. And if we're not willing to move through the silence and face off with the silence and realize that silence isn't God's only language, but it is a language of God. It's like God meets us in the silence. It's in the silence where we unlearn the voice of the accuser. 
when we start to realize that the silence isn't a rejection, it's actually an invitation to a deeper form of knowing, then we start to experience, when we realize that we start to experience the reality that God wants to have words with us in both silence and in sound. And that prayer is so much more than this transactional thing that we do at specific times in specific places. Our lives open up and we can, as Paul writes in Romans 12, 1 Thessalonians 5, we can pray without ceasing. Our lives become an integrated prayer. But the problem is we think that prayer is just moving our lips. So much of prayer is listening. It's waiting. It's yielding. It's surrendering. It's growing in awareness and understanding. It's being still, as Psalm 46 says, being still and knowing that he is God. And it's from that stillness, from that surrendered stillness, which is very difficult in the world that we live in, where it's frantic in action all the time. That's what I call frantic in action. People are moving all the time, but they're not really doing anything. Mm -hmm. And what stillness and what silence offer us is this ability to actually know and see what's real in a moment so we can engage with the moment in a way that is right for that moment. Because God wants to have words with us about places, about people, about purpose. But we can't do that if we're just caught up in the voice of the accuser and the craziness of this world. So you give a great, great example in the first and second chapter of a man named Ivan. And you and your wife had been in a small group. The question was asked, what's God doing in your life? And you were quiet. And of course, she's not going to skip over that because she's a very smart wife. And you're like, I, dude, I just do not feel God at all. And shortly after that, you took a trip to Florida and then just so classic thing happened. So talk to me about that. Yeah. So a bit of backstory. I had been navigating at this point, it was about four and a half years of insomnia. Um, So anxiety and insomnia. Uh, I lived in a perpetual fog. I had some health challenges that complicated that. I mean, it was just, it felt like God had abandoned me. Um, I felt like I was doing the right things. I was checking the right boxes. Um, I was being faithful, but it seemed like God had just checked out um, of my life, and and I uh, I was I was a part of that that evening, and everyone was staring about how good God had been, and there were tears and all of that, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just like I'm I'm not the kind of person I'm who's going to lie. I'm <laughs> dry. Like, there's, there, I'm like y'all are. That's great. I'm happy for <laughs> you, but I'm I'm not I'm not going to join in because I just I don't see this. I don't feel this. I'm not participating in it. And um, about six months later, I went away because like my health got to a point um, where it like I felt like my bodily systems were just shutting down. And Julie told me, my wife, she's like, the world's going to have to spin without your contribution. Like you're you're going away for a few days. And I had believed the lie that I was a god of productivity and my my merit was in the production of my hands and everything that goes with that. And it had driven me into a restlessness and into the arms of insomnia. And I went away and I had this amazing encounter with God um, the first evening while I was away. And I was in the kitchen and Psalm 127 became real to me. I'd read it so many times, but it became real to me that night that it's in vain that you stay up late and get up early eating the bread of anxious toil. And it just, it hit me. And it talks about how he gives sleep to his beloved. And it hit me. And I just started bawling. And uh, I went to bed, got 11 hours of sleep that night. I hadn't slept like that five years. I didn't have a night's sleep like that. And I woke up the next morning and there was an invitation on my lips. And this, this has only happened to me once in my lifetime. Invitation on my lips 
And I woke up saying like, prayer is going to become the center of your life and I want you to write on it. And I, and I said yes to that. But then I was like, oh my gosh, is- that's a scary yes. <laughs> yeah, like, and I said, yes, but Colleen, I really didn't know what I was saying yes to. Like I said yes to it before I knew what, like I almost felt like I'd been tricked into saying yes. And I woke up and I'm like, wait a second, this is me striving. Like this is a ploy of productivity. Like I'm, I'm here not doing anything. I'm in silence and solitude. Like I'm trying to convince myself that I'm going to do something of purpose and something good's going to come out of this. But I couldn't, no matter what I try to do, I couldn't, I couldn't shake that. And so I went, I, I prayed a prayer. I prayed a Gideon like prayer, like, God, this is you. You're going to have to give me like some kind of sign today. And I went out into nature and I was praying and, and I was walking back to the house and I'm walking to the house that I was staying friend's house. And uh, I, I, just, I heard a, a distinguished voice say, good morning, young man. And I look around. I don't see anyone anywhere. I'm like, huh. and I'm not saying anything. I'm just like, wait a second. Who was that? And I don't respond. And I keep walking. And then I hear the voice again. Good morning, young man. I look over and I see a man sitting on a porch. And I'm, I've taken like a vow of silence. So I'm not talking. And so I, I search inside. I'm like, Holy Spirit, am I supposed to say something? Or do I just like awkwardly sign language to him? Like, what do I do here? And I sense I was supposed to say good morning. So I said good morning to him. Anyway, long story short, he engaged me in a conversation. We ended up talking for four hours. And at the end, yeah, four hours. And at the end of this conversation, you know, I have found out that he's navigating stage four cancer um, and that he's really hoping and praying to have 10 more years. And so I laid hands on him. I prayed for him. He prayed for me, tears, everything. And I walked into the house after that thinking like, God, this is the sign. Like, I asked for this, and then you brought me to Ivan. Like, you're going to heal Ivan miraculously. This is amazing. And this is going to be a sign and the foundation of what you're inviting me into as far as this fresh revelation of your faithfulness and your goodness and prayer. I went to the house, called my wife. I was like, let's fast and pray over the next couple of days for him specifically. And she was all excited. And anyway, they, they came out. They're planning to come out after I had been alone for three days. And we had some time together as families with them. And so it was a whole family thing and a wonderful time. And four months later, Ivan passed. And none of none of it made any sense. Like none of like I was like, God, this feels cruel. Like, why would I've prayed for people and I've seen them not get healed, right? And I've prayed for people and I've seen God do the miraculous. But I'm like, God, what? Why? Like, why did this happen the way it did? Um, So that's, I have to interrupt you for a second, because that happens all the time when we are so dedicated and with your whole heart, you're on a retreat for, for hearing God's voice. You agree. Yes, Jesus, I will write this book on prayer. And then you meet someone who clearly the touch of God could have healed them. I mean, my Mm -hmm. friend Priscilla Shire my God, you could have touched the entire world by healing her mama, but yeah. her mama passed. And yeah. it's so disillusioning. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that's because we're following rules? Do you think that's because we want our idea to pan out? How do we wrestle with that well? Yeah. Well, I, I think the key is to wrestle with it. I mean, I, I think God, God can do a lot with our doubts. I think we're scared to articulate our doubts. And I, and I make this, I make this statement in the book. I said, we really can't understand how faithful God is until life has given us a reason to doubt his faithfulness. 
Mm-hmm. And and the temptation when we when we view prayer as just a transaction, like if we do X, Y happens and prayer works, or if we do X, Y happens, it doesn't happen, then it doesn't work, right? If that's our view of prayer, then we miss out on the relational dynamic that prayer invites us into, which is to know a character, to know a nature, to know a perspective that supersedes our own. And when when I look at Jesus's moment in the garden, and I've shared this quite a bit with words with God. And this really like speaks to people when I'm answering this question. When we look at that moment, Jesus, he was very specific. He said, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass, let it pass. Right? He, was, he was not vague. He wasn't like, oh, you know, maybe something good. He's like, no, if this cup can pass, let it pass. Number two, he was steadfast. He prayed again and again and again, blood seeping from his pores. He asked his friends to pray with him. But then he was also surrender. He was surrendered, not my will, but yours be done. And I think when it comes to prayer, we want to swing a pendulum. We want to just be able to like lift our hands and be like, God, your will be done and kind of get lazy with our prayers and, and pray these vague prayers. Frankly, we wouldn't even know if God responded to our prayers because our prayer is so vague. And what I tell people is when we pray specific prayers, we put ourselves in a position to better know God's character and how God moves in our life because either A, God's going to answer the prayer and the specificity is going to show us how he moves and how he works. Or B, our prayer is going to lead us down a process that is going to perfect us, I believe perfect us, to ultimately receive what we're asking for. And in either way, we're doing business with the nature and the character of God. And that is what prayer is all about. And if we look at like Matthew 6 and Luke 11, following the, the, the Lord's Prayer, where, where the nature or the honor in Luke's, in Luke's account, the way Luke lays out the parable, really it's God's honor that's at stake. Um, how he's explaining God's honor. He say, look, God won't give a stone to someone who's asking for bread. Well, the opposite is also true. If we think we're asking for bread and we're asking for a stone, God's not going to give us a stone. And sometimes we don't know that we're asking for a stone. We're asking for a stone. And that's why when we're specific in prayer, like we become aware of what we're asking for and how God, even through the tension and the disappointment, how God responds to that. And that challenges us to go deeper into understanding the nature of God and how he engages with us in our pain. Thanks again for listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast. We'd be honored to have you partner with us in prayer and in financial support. We operate entirely and only on your generous gifts and donations. Would you consider giving just $10 a month to help caregivers and their families receive resources full of help, hope, and healing? You can partner with us at reframingministries.com slash give. I think it is so important that you identified the word intimacy and it's equated with or related to a sense of fear. Um, There is so much fear in the human condition of being known, especially in a world where we have constructed these false selves and these exterior layers that we throw out there on social media or on whatever (laughs) platform you want to call it. And, And so the mental health crisis is happening. If I'm not doing this, if I don't have this many numbers, if I don't have that, when really... You're calling us to, in this, in this work, God is calling us through these words, to fall into our greatest fear, which is being known by God. Mm-hmm.
Yes. Yeah, there are. Yeah. No, continue, how do you, please. How, well, how do you work through that fear? Um, and how did you work through that fear? Yeah, going going back, going back to Hebrews 4, what I mentioned earlier about this idea that we have a high priest who intercedes for us, who understands mm-hmm. our weaknesses, who sympathizes with our weaknesses. I think all of us somehow convince ourselves that there are things about us that are unknown to God. And if God knew these things about us, we would be disqualified from intimacy mm-hmm. with him. We would be disqualified from being people who can pray to him and receive from him through prayer. And, and, and the truth is, when it comes to a practice like confession, right? Like confession's not for God. God knows. Confession's for us. Confe- <laughs> like confession's for us so we can speak it. And I heard a counselor once say, what, what can be mentioned can be managed. And it's, mm. it's amazing. It's amazing how the enemy of our soul will try to keep these things inside of us in this place of isolation, this place of separation. So we build these false selves that we project to the world rather than using the gift of confession, which is supposed to be something that happens that fosters intimacy between us and God and, and us and trusted people, right? Confession isn't just about going to God. It's going to each other because there are lies that are not all lies, And it's only in the truth that is all true that those lies are exposed. So the enemy is very good at wrapping lies around a truth. And confession is the practice that exposes the lie so that we can understand the truth. Like, so for instance, we make a mistake. The lie is you are a mistake, right? Like that's the lie. Yes, we made a mistake. The lie is you are a mistake. The lie says you are a mistake, so shrink back. And when it comes when it comes to prayer, I think one of the reasons why we're terrified of being honest with God is because we already feel transactionally, we always already feel um, unprepared, unqualified, and inadequate when it comes to praying right, praying long enough, um, praying in the right places, the right words, whatever it is, and that's something that religiosity has has held over people as a, as a point of authority, as a point of access to God, blocking a point of access to God for a very, very long time. And it's a very real stronghold in the psyche of, of what it is to be a Christ follower. And we have to be aware of that. I mean, it's, it's inculcated in, in so much of our frameworks of how we engage with God. It is. And, and when we take a step back and we realize, look, prayer actually isn't about us getting everything right so we can connect with God. Prayer is actually about us surrendering what we know of ourselves to the holiness, the otherness, the beauty, the power, the majesty, the wonder of God in our imperfections, right? Like that's that's the place where we are known. You don't really know someone if you have two people who are projecting shadow selves in relationship. Like the idea of prayer is we are known as we're known. I love what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, talks about how no one knows the depths of a man, but the spirit of a man. And he makes a statement, no one knows the depths of God except the spirit of God. And then he makes the, the incredible statement that it's the spirit of God that fuses with our spirit, revealing to us the reality of who God is. And then he later goes on to say that we have the mind of Christ. Like We can live with this awareness if we let go, if we have our minds renewed, as Paul writes in Romans 12, we have our minds renewed, letting go of these ideas of ourselves and our limitations and of God and how he engages with us and our pain. We let go of that. We're like, God, 
it's terrifying to be known by the one who knows everything. Mm -hmm. But one, I know you already know me. You see me. You love me. And number two, I know that there's no space that you don't occupy and there's no space that you're willing to go. I surrender every bit of who I am to you, especially when I don't even understand how to surrender. And I think what Paul writes in Philippians 2 about this promise that that God will even give us the will to do his will. Like if we lift up our hands, we're like, I don't, I don't even know where to begin. God's like, hey, I'll come in. I'll help you take those steps. Um, but but he's, he doesn't want robots. He wants sons and daughters. He's not going to come in and force us. We have to invite him in. We have to take the dive. And in the book, I talk about how there are some who believe that Intimacy comes from the Latin intimere, which literally means interfere. We have to be the ones who are willing to take a dive and realize that it is that great dive into fear where we where we discover what we most desire, what we most long for, which is to be known and to know. Oh my gosh, I have so many things going through my mind right now. So you said a minute ago that the enemy is brilliant at, well, I'm going to not quote for sure, but at taking a truth and wrapping it up in lies. And so I'm thinking about a Christmas package and here's the truth inside, but it's surrounded by lies. And we look so much at the lie, we throw the whole package out. <laughs> when, when, when we're promised in scripture, not only is, has he already overcome the world, he's overcome the wrapping. So mm. dive into that package yeah. because in it, is going to be the fullness of himself. Okay, so the other thing is about honesty. Um, just last night, my son is on a very, very, very strict diet. So we have a very limited amount of things that he can eat. And for years, we had to have a lock on the refrigerator because he'd get in the refrigerator, open it up, and eat a bunch of stuff. The best thing happened last night when he said, Mom and Dad, will you lock the pantry door? Because I want to eat all the crackers. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, wow. And he goes, and can you lock the other door? Because there are treats in there too. Like he knows where wow. all the treats are. Yeah. And the authenticity of that, I said, he simply just laid out there, you know what? I'm really tempted to scarf that stuff down. And so can you help me out with this? How can we create these safe communities that accept that kind of um, tender humility. Yeah. Well, humility creates safety. And, and that's, we, the bottom line is, and, and there's a chapter in this book where, where I'm writing about who are you actually praying to when you pray? Like who's on the other side of your prayers? Who's engaging with your prayers? How and why do, does this, this deity that you've imagined that's on the other side of your prayers, how and why are they engaging with your prayers? And what you just described, you described a son who has matured to this place of awareness and trust and honesty. You as, as his mother, were you like, how dare you desire to eat those treats? You're like, I, like, I, can't, I can't believe you would say, no, he brought to you like, hey, this is the pain. Like, this is the desire. This is the dissonance that I'm feeling. Like, I want to eat these crackers, but I also know it's not good for me to eat these crackers. And I'm bringing this to you right? As my mom, because you can do something about that. And obviously I, he trusts you with that information. That's what prayer is about. We go, I mean, just think about the, the Lord's prayer, which just a side note, 
The Lord's Prayer is more about how to pray rather than what to pray. Yes, don't get me wrong. The words are very important. I love the words. I pray the words. Um, but Jesus was reluctant to give us anything that might feel like a formula because we have a tendency to abuse formulas and misuse them for our own purposes. Well, by far be it for us to put it into a little one, two, three, wrap that up. It's perfect formula. There we go. That's what yes. We want. And, yes. And, and, and that offers a semblance of control. And we're control freaks. We just are. Right. We don't yep. we don't want to trust. We don't want faith and hope to do their work. We want to be the God. We want to be the masters of our faith, the captains of our soul. We want all of that. And it's because we were created godlike. We were created to rule. There are elements of that that when they are redeemed, um, reflect God's nature and God's goodness and what he's preparing for us. So I'm I'm not making that sound all bad, but when it's not surrendered, it comes out sideways. It just does. But we look at the Lord's Prayer. What's what's the first movement of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. It's a movement of tenderness. Before we confess sin, before we say anything else, we're acknowledging, we're confessing that he is our tender father. And his name is Hallowed, which simply means his name is above anything that we're about ready to bring into prayer. Like these things that feel really big, whatever they may be, they're not bigger than his name. His name is the name above every name. His name is the final word. And when I look at Jesus, what, what I see in Jesus and what we see in Jesus in scriptures, we see the, the personification or the incarnation, the embodiment of what is most true about God and what is promised for us. Like, this is the person of, like, this is what, this is why we, in like in Hebrews 2, where, where we read language about, like, he's not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Like, this is, this is the journey that we're taken into. This is what it's all about. And it is a journey through pain. It's a journey through awareness. It's a journey through depths and depths of surrender. I think of what James writes in James 124. He says, receive with meekness, receive with humility, the implanted logos, the implanted logos, the implanted word, which has the power to save your vitality, to save your soul. Like this, this is something that we get to journey into for the rest of our lives. And prayer is that place of safety where we learn those things. And, and I want to, I want to say this because we're talking a lot about prayer. I want to make sure people, when they hear me say prayer, I'm not talking about just those times when you're in a prayerful position. Right. Like we're, we're, talking, we're talking about prayer as a way of life. We're talking about God having words with us and for us constantly. Like Paul's not, again, like Paul's not blowing smoke when he says, pray without ceasing. What he's saying is saying, God wants to be connected with you. He wants to speak to you. He wants, he wants to be involved with your day. And that's an, that's an incredible gift. And it's sad to me that so many of us, because of our transactional view of prayer, and I know I've experienced this in my life, we miss out on that gift and that invitation. Mm-hmm. So much of what you're talking about, um, because I study a lot on neural, on neural networks and neuropsychology, and there's a, there's a thing called the salient network in our brains, as biologically were created. And it actually has, it's called the triune brain. Mm. And it, and it includes our entire brain, which is the brain stem, the limbic system and the cerebral cortex. And I won't nerd out any more than that. But basically, (laughs) if there's a hiccup in any one of those sections of the triune brain, physically, then there's going to be a misstep somewhere along Mm. the way in how we're able to function and communicate. How much more 
when we don't understand the triune God, is there going to be a hiccup in how we live day to day? So um, explain to us, because you did talk about that in the book, what that looks like. Yeah. So, I mean, anytime we talk about the the three in one idea of, of God's personhood, right? We we move into um, waters that 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 can be difficult to navigate for for a lot of people. But um, I'll try I'll try to simplify a few things. It's amazing to me in John sixteen that Jesus looks at them and says, "It's better for you." I'm telling you the truth. It's better for you that I go away. And essentially, what That's he's communicating. So I mean, like, I mean, just like <laughs> I really think about that. Like, this is Jesus who was with them in person for over three years, looking at them, saying, "Hey, I." Number one, he's prefacing the statement saying, "I'm not lying," right? Like, this is Jesus having to say, "I'm not lying," because he knows Which what he's about to bad say. Bad news may be coming, <laughs> right? Exactly. But like, like bad news or news that like you're not going to want to believe because it's going to seem incredible. It's like. What? No, that can't be true. He's like, no, I'm telling you the truth. It's better for you that I go away. And and then what what he communicates there, he says, essentially, and, and I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, there's, there are things that you can't bear. There are things that you can't grasp. And what he's saying, he's saying, these things that I'm telling you, they're external. You've seen a demonstration, but they're still external. But when my spirit comes, they're going to become internal. They're going to be fused into who you are. You're going to become a part of this connection. Then he goes on and prays into that connection in John 17, in the next chapter. Mm. You're going to be part of this unity, this oneness that I share with the Father through the Spirit. And C.S. Lewis, he made the couple one time, which I think he's, I mean, he's, I don't think he's borrowing from Athanasius, but he made the comment that, um, that, that the love between the Father and Son is so powerful, so dynamic, mm. and because it's eternal, it always has been its own person. So the love between them has, has created this third person, which is the spirit. And because the father and the son have always existed, the spirit has always existed, right? That's how C.S. Lewis and Athanasius explained it. Um, but this idea that this, it's the spirit of God that brings us into the revelation of mm. God's love, God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's personhood. And that's why in the book, I call the spirit of God, the integrator. Like you made the comment earlier in the show, you made the comment disintegration and, and mental mm-hmm. health really is, is, is a form of disintegration. Mm-hmm. Um, even when we talk about shalom, you know, we, we think peace with shalom. Shalom actually doesn't mean peace. Shalom actually means integration. Peace is what comes from shalom. So peace is... And that's why you'll hear people say like Shalom is more than peace, but it communicates peace. Well, that's because Shalom is all the parts coming together to make a whole. And peace is one of the effects of all the parts coming together to make a whole. And and when you look at God's design for prayer, prayer is actually supposed to bring the things that seem like they're in uh, tension in our lives, whether that's relationships mm. with others, whether that's trials and temptations and needs, whether that's heaven and earth, or our Father who is also a holy God, these ideas that are intention, the integrator, the Spirit of God, brings them into the core of who we are and fuses them with who we are and reveals things to us that we can't grasp intellectually, but we can be grasped by. And so much of the life of faith, we're trying to grasp for God, instead of lifting up our hands and saying, God, I say yes to being grasped by you. Mm -hmm. And that's what the spirit of God does. And if you look at 
how God has moved across church history, starting with the book of Acts. The spirit of God is the one who continually leads them out of their small constructs and their ideas of how God works into this promise that God made to Abraham way back in Genesis 12, that all the nations, all the families of the earth will one day be blessed through your family. They'll become a part of this meta narrative of salvation, redemption, and restoration. When we get to Revelation 5 and we see this picture of tribes and tongues and nations, we see distinct persons coming together, unified, one voice, and it's the prayers of the saints that are being poured out in this moment. And that is like, that's what Jesus prays for in John 17. And that is the work of the spirit. So there's, there's so, there's so much more to that. Um, and I, and I share a story, you'll know, remember from the book, I share a story about my son grasping the yeah. idea of the spirit of God yeah. and what a sweet moment that was. Um, but yeah, people are scared of the spirit, but the spirit, listen, the spirit is the one who searches and knows and understands and joins together. And uh, that's Which, a gift in prayer. So many of your words about integration and the formation, I mean, they're so akin or so parallel to our human physiology and how mm-hmm. God has made us. Because in Dan Siegel's work on attachment and attunement, as a parent is attached and attunes in a safe way to a little baby and toddler who's screaming, tantruming, flailing about, the the studies show as the parent attunes and responds with love, that child cries less and less and less because the child knows I'm understood. Hmm. Basically, that's really what the Holy Spirit is calling us to do is to be that flailing toddler that is out of control, that's out of bounds, that hates the word no, that doesn't understand why I have to go to bed. And he just says, because I love you and I care and I know you. Um, I just want to bring it home because so many of my, of the people in my community are so many that are involved in reframing, which I heard you use that word in an interview. I'm like, that's it. (laughs) Um, Have gone to the Lord begging, Lord, heal, um, bring alive my son, my daughter, um, help me work through this loss of my parent. And grief and trauma are disintegrating, as we know now through a lot of studies. Mm -hmm. Speak into that that place of the person who is about to just say, you know, why pray? Because God's not listening. Yeah. And, and if prayer is simply measured on us getting what we ask for in prayer, mm-hmm. then I understand that. I do. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people don't pray or they only pray when, when their backs are against the wall and they feel like they don't have any, anything else to do, um, anywhere else to turn. And God can meet us there. Like, please understand, God, God can meet us and he does meet us in our imperfect understandings of prayer. But what I would say to that person is a few things. Number one, and it's cliche, and but we have to remember, like and James makes this comment when he talks about this life is a vapor. There is there is something that supersedes our idea of time. Yeah. And there's so much, there's so much in scripture. I think of Second Corinthians four, I think of Romans eight about I think of 
James 1, 1 Peter 1, just off the top of my head, um, of how God is forging something eternal and something substantial in us through the pain and the dissonance of this age. And, and I, and I don't, I don't say that flippantly. Listen, I'm not saying that like, Hey, you know, just chalk it all up to, you know, God's preparing you for blah, blah. blah. No, I, I will not do that. I'm not going to throw Romans 8, 28 and 29 at you. I'm not, I'm not going to do that because that's, that's not, that's not our role. That's not our responsibility in this. There is an intimate place in prayer that we, we discover God and the nature of God and who he truly is. Um, that we go through as we're navigating the pain of trauma and grief. We do. Mm-hmm. And, and if prayer is that place where we can go and be real with God, then as we move through what feels like unanswered prayers, we start to receive other answers that help us process, that help us move through the pain, that help us move through the questions, that, that move us to places where we have find comfort and strength for others. I mean, I think of what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, where he says, blessed be the God of all comfort, who comforts us, right? And all, all our pain, all of our afflictions. And, and, and this was coming from a man who was in a very, very difficult season of his life. In that first chapter, he writes about sleepless nights and death of the soul. And he talks about being rejected by, by those who had loved him and his apostleship being questioned. And he gets to a place where he says that my, that God, like hit, God speaking over him that his power works best in his weakness or his human inability in, in the in the 12th mm-hmm. chapter of that letter. And so there's so much in that disappointment and that disillusionment that we discover about God and ourselves that we can't move into and move through if we're not honest in prayer. And so I encourage people like, look, be specific in your prayers, be steadfast in your prayers and be surrendered in your prayers because as we do that we discover so much about God and ourselves. The enemy wants us to live in these vague ideas of who we are and who God is. Vague ideas of our pain, our disappointment, our loss, our confusion. He wants that to be vague. But God's like, actually, you know what? I can handle it. I can handle your questions. Whatever it is, I can handle your pain. I'm not scared of it. I'm not scared of the messiness of your situation. Bring it to me. And watch what I do. Watch how I respond. And I know time and time again, I've seen God show up in my life in situations where I was like, God, there's no way you and I are getting to the other side of this one. And yet we come out on the other side and I have a better understanding of God's nature and his character. And, and that's just, and that is a gift. And, I, and I've shared this before. God has a way of like not delivering us the way we expect to be delivered from a situation of prayer when he knows that ultimately that thing, whatever that thing is, is going to deliver us to him. Like he just has a way of doing that. And so my prayer is like, God, like deliver me to you. Like at the end of the day, like I want to know you, I want to be transformed in your presence. I want to be transformed by your ways. And that's scary. But at the end of the day, I mean, that's what, that's what we really desire. Which, um, and I know we have to wrap it up, but I told my husband yesterday, I'm like, I so want to pray this, but I just don't want Jesus to take you away from me to my husband. I'm like, Lord, I'm totally surrendered, but can my husband still be with me (laughs) because of the pain of loss, which when he says, I've come to give you life and life abundantly, then, then like, like you said, the lie or the wrapping is a lie. The truth is. He's come to give us life and life abundantly. And we can't experience that 
if there's, if there's any facade, we just have to say it as it is and know he can handle it. Well, Addison, you're involved in so many different ministries, so many different things. Um, I'm going to put in the show notes all the links of where people can find you on YouTube and the ministries that you have going on in so many different countries. But more than anything, thank you for just being real and bringing Jesus and um, the truth into a way that we can take it in and know he's with us and there's hope. Thank you, Colleen. So good being on and appreciate the it talk today. Great. I just think everyone needs to read this book because it's so real. So I encourage you as you watch or listen, show up with Jesus. Tell him where you are today. He can handle it. He knows it. And he's going to be hugging you all the way through it. Thank you again. Thank you again for joining us today. We hope you'll join us again for future discussions with Colleen and world influencers. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.